0: as has been mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series today, and I am really excited about this. Of course, I get excited about every sermon series, but I'm, I'm psyched. I'm ready to go. We're going to hit into some interesting territory the next few months. We'll see how long this goes. I don't have an end point yet because there's so much to talk about in this issue, and we're starting it with, you know, today is what is God's design for women and men, male and female. Why did he make women and men as it, as it, as it talks about? And so I'm, I'm actually going to give a starting question. Did God design women to be ruled over by men? And you might be thinking, how could you even ask that? That's a ridiculous question. You know, in our modern times, that just seems unfathomable. But in the ancient world, the world in which the Bible was written, that question had a very clear and unambiguous answer. Aristotle, ever hear of him? Kind of like the king of the philosophers of the, the ancient Greek world. Um, here's what he says. He says, again, as between the sexes, the male is by nature superior and the female Inferior, the male ruler and the female subject. For the male is by nature better fitted to command than the female. That was the environment in which the scriptures were written. Uh, Early in my dating relationship with my wife, when we we were just getting to know each other, we we happened to, my parents were at um, a campground called Mohican in Ohio. And it was halfway in between where we lived. We were in different parts of Ohio. And so we met and we had kind of ha- had a time. And I remember a conversation very clearly from so long ago now. And so we're just getting to know each other, knowing like, you know, who we, who we are. And she throws out a question. And she says it wasn't a test. I think it was a test. <laughs> but, but she said, you know, well, what do you, what do you say? She, I was in ministry. I was doing Young Life. I was in parachurch. I wasn't a pastor yet, but I was doing ministry. And so she asks, what do you believe about the, the, what do you think about the scriptures that say women ought to be silent and ought to be, you know, under men and everything? What's your take on that? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm just getting to know this girl, you know, what do I say? And I'm Like, um, um, I was like, uh, you know, I, and I managed to throw out something. Well, you have to think about the culture at the time. And you know, that was, you know, and I mumbled something out just to get through that conversation. Thankfully, she was not greatly concerned with my theological brilliance, you know, just, just so long as I, you know, wasn't a complete jerk about it, I think was the main thing. Um, so anyways, you know, that's a tough question. What do we think about the Bible? There are some difficult verses in the scriptures that we need to think through. And in the last 100 years, or really 200 years, the ma- there have been major changes in our society and culture in how men and women, husband and wives, relate to one another. When did women get the right to vote in America? I heard it. 1920. Yep, 1920. So, you know, you think about it, it's only been a hundred years since we, you know, women had the kind of equal status in voting. Um, I love it. You know, we have a, a, you know, the 2020 would have been the hundredth anniversary. How did we celebrate? A worldwide pandemic. You know, just just a thought. Um, But so the, the relationships, the way, you know, it's very different than the ancient world. And And the world, the people of this world are asking questions about how men and women are to relate to one another. There's all kinds of confusion out there in in everything we read. There's, you know, cultural battles on, on who can do what sports and, you know, what is marriage supposed to look like? And, you know, or whether we should bother with this marriage thing at all. And so they're asking, you know, what does the church have to say about this? And what, you know, what is, what does Christians teach? And, and oftentimes the church sounds like I did in my twenties. Um, uh, you know, well, I mumble something about like we mumble something out there because this is a challenging topic or worse. We give an, an, answer that more echoes Aristotle than we do that reflects the Bible. Ever hear St. Thomas Aquinas? He was like a giant in the Middle Ages for the, the church's teaching, a giant of the philosophers, and still the, uh, much of the Roman Catholic Church kind of relies on, on Thomas Aquinas' thinking. So he answered this question. Let me read this to you. Can we see this on the screen? Um, if not, I can give you... These quotes are great. So it says, As regards to the individual nature, these are in reply to... to uh, questions on the Christian faith. He says, uh, Woman is defective and misbegotten, for the active force in the male seed tends to the production of a perfect likeness in the masculine sex, while the production of woman comes from defect in the active force or from some material defect or even from some external influence. Oh, he's talking about the male seed. This must be science. So he goes on a little later to, you know, what conclusion do you draw from this? So he says, for good order would have been wanting in the human family if some were not governed by others wiser than themselves. So by such a kind of subjection, woman is naturally subject to man because in man, the discretion of reason predominates. I just want to be clear. These are not my words. (laughs) I'm I'm quoting St. Thomas Aquinas. But note also, he is not basing what he wrote on the scriptures. And in fact, he's actually basing it on Aristotle. Aquinas was very influenced by Aristotle and the other Greek philosophers. So sometimes that's the answer that the world has heard from the church. What I want to do today and in the series is, does the Bible speak to this? Can we, can we gain from what the scripture said? Does, does, if, if the Bible is God's word and we, we affirm, we assert that it is, that God intentionally wanted to communicate with people, so he gave us his holy word, what does the Bible really say? Um, do we just say, well, culture has changed, so we have to change our beliefs to fit fit our times? Or do we say, well, these difficult passages, they don't fit modern thinking, so we just p- pitch them out? You know, the world is astounded that we, we look to a book 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old to define our relationships. And so if that's true, if we really believe this is the word, we need to understand so that we're not just mumbling something and to try to get through an answer. And I'm convinced of this, the Bible spans multiple cultures. You know, I I say the ancient culture, but truthfully, if you go through the the story of the Bible, it it spans culture of desert nomadic traders. Then it goes on to Bronze Age agriculture, then to to city-state empires, then to village life in, in the Roman Empire, and then finally, it moves to the major Greek and Roman cities where philosophy abounded. In other words, the god's word already speaks to to cultures of different times i believe and and declare that it it will speak to this it will give wisdom the the world says the bible is outdated this is the challenge that um that the bible is outdated in what it has to say to, to, to these issues. Why look to it, some document 3,000 years old, to, to decide how you're going to relate to one another? I'm convinced of this, and what we want to affirm, the Bible is not outdated. It is not irrelevant, but it gives a life-giving message for men and women. The scriptures, thank you. The scriptures are not outdated, but insightful. Insightful when you see how they depict the struggles in, in humanity, right? It's, it's insightful when you see that people long ago, in many ways, were dealing with the same stuff that we do. You just got to look past the surface, and you can see that. And, and lastly, I would say, by the way, I have, I have that handout. These are things in the handout. If we, I hope that handout helps in, in sorting through this. So the third thing in that handout is the word of God, and I don't know if this is a made-up word, it's a word that I know in my head, easy pickings. The word of God is not easy pickings. I think what we tend to do is people want to just find a verse that, that answers everything or pick out things. or, And no, I, what we're meant to do is engage with God's word and understand what it's really saying. In other words, it's it's useful if we're meant to meditate and seek understanding so that we can see what it's what it's really teaching. That is where we're headed this day. Um, this whole series, we're going to get into some controversial issues. And truthfully, I'm like a little, uh, it, it, that's not as my nature. My, my goal is not to spur controversy. It is not to do some culture war battle or anything like that. My nature is I'm a teacher. I love to seek understanding. And so I want to encourage you to, to engage with me in this series. And if you hear something that you're like, I don't know, I've heard something else elsewhere, try not to get angry too quick or just write off the ideas. Look for and consider what, what, might, what might I learn from this. And if, if in the end, if you think through all this and you land in a different place, it, it's okay, because then the core truths, the truth of the gospel, we're, we're in the same place. So if on some of these other issues where it's debatable that we're going to get into, you know, think it through. And it's okay if we end up landing on a different, on some of these issues. There was a controversial issue in Jesus' day that the rabbis of his time would argue about. There was disagreement. They answered this question in different ways, and that controversy was um, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Note how it was asked, it was only asked one way, and that's how they frame that question. And they asked Jesus that same question. This is in Mark chapter 10. Now, I don't want to focus on that issue today, but I want to note the way Jesus answered that, that question. He says, You know, what do you say, teacher? And the different rabbis had different answers to that question. And Jesus says, well, Moses allowed divorce in the law because he knows your hearts were hard. So the law gave, um, he, he gave a way of divorce. And so he included that commandment. But he says, but, you know, and he did that because of your hardness of heart. It says, but if you really know, want to know what God's design is, if you really want to know what God wants for his people, you have to go back to the beginning. And it says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He united them together in marriage. So the point I want to draw out of that is you've got to understand sometimes the Bible describes thing that, things that go wrong. But if you want to know what God's intent was, you have to go back before sin entered the world. That's what I want to start with today. All right, we have three passages we're going to look at. Uh, Pat read one of them, so thank you. Um, I'll read the other two as we go. And we're going to start in Genesis 1, and we're going to go Genesis 2 and 3. So in Genesis 1, we see that, it begins by saying then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds and the livestock and over every creeping thing human beings man is different made different from every other creation uh, create, creature in the universe we you know we have how the heavens declare the glory of god we sing the songs about how everything in god made in a sense, bears witness. But there is a special way, um, a a more clear way that human beings, that man declares God, because we are made in his image after his likeness. And it says as a part of that, we are given dominion to rule over the rest of creation. So that answers it, right? Let us make man in our image and let him rule over all these other creatures. Well, Well, women's included in that. So man gets to rule over women. All right, question answered. Oh, we should go to verse 27. So uh, let us make man our image, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Huh. So man in this framing includes Male and female, men and women. It is not men alone that are in God's image, but women as well. I, I was asked, wh- "Why is it it starts singular and then go plural?" and And here's the answer I would I would say say it. So it it, it goes both singular and plural. It says in the image of God He created him, and that's in the singular because each person. Each man or woman can bear God's image, bears God's image, right? It's for every individual is included. Every person bears the image of God. And so that, that speaks reams on how we frame thinking about life and personhood because we, you know, this is why Christians, um, believers in Christ who, who hold to the Bible, believe that, you know, even before a, a baby is born, that they bear God's image, and, and that we, so we don't support abortion. We do affirm the pro-life position, because we believe that each person bears God's image. Um, so it's in the in the singular, but then it goes plural. So male and female, he created them. It's in the plural, because all peoples bear the image of God. It's not just one particular people. It's it's uh, all peoples, races, tribes, and languages. This is why, among Christians, racism can have no part, because we believe that all people of all races are included in this truth. Right. So this, ver- verse 27, conveys so much. But there's another dynamic going on within this passage, another reason why it goes man, then male, and female, and that is called androcentric language. Now, let me explain. the The word "andro" has to do with man, man or male, uh, male-centered language. Hebrew, as well as Greek, use androcentric language, and in fact, English, older English, used androcentric language. In our last modern times, we've switched to what we call gender-neutral language, and what that means is that male terms are used. And it can include women and men within it. So it says God made man, but it makes clear in the text that it is both male and female. So uh, you would use male terms, especially in the plural, to to refer to both men and women. Another key word in that is is it uses the word a lot, brothers or brethren. Right? Brothers, if it's a brother, it's it's a man. But Brothers in the plural means brothers and sisters, usually referring to the the believers in Christ are are all brothers and sisters together. But the original language just said brothers because everyone understood you'd use the male terms, but it could mean female. And this is all over the place. The, The laws are given in male terms. So, for example, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Does it mean it's okay to covet thy neighbor's husband? No, no, it assumes it would be both. You just have to make the switch in your head, right? That's androcentric language. That is how Hebrew and Greek functioned. We got to keep that in mind as we study the Bible. Here, here's a core conviction. The Bible as a whole is addressed to men and women. If there are truths in the Bible, it, it, it fits. So you, you can't just... Say, well, that's only for the men folk. No. If there are truths expressed in the Bible, and unless it's specified otherwise, it is assumed that is for both men and women, even if male terms are being used. Those truths are written for all of us. It was written to communities of believers gathered together to hear God's word spoken to them. All right, so that's going on. Um, it goes on in verse 28 to talk about how God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and all all this. And then it says, behold, I give you, give you what you need. I give you every plant, uh, yielding seed on the face of all the earth and every tree for fruit. You have them for food. So originally, actually it says that, that men and women were to be vegetarians. Um, Later in Genesis 9, just to be clear, we get permission to eat meat. And I, I'm really glad, myself, um, for that matter. But, but, so, but human beings are, are different from the animal life. It says we're given authority to, 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 to rule, but understand what that's talking about. So, so back in the first couple of verses, uh, when it says before humans, back in Genesis 1, verse 2, it says the earth was in Disorder. It was chaos. And what does God do? As you read through Genesis 1, he brings order to the chaos. He forms seas and dry land and and all the things as it goes. And then at the end, what does he do then? He imparts to male and female, men and women, his human beings. They will now be his agents to bring order to the disordered world. They will then be his, they will do like he does, did and begin to bring order to the world. That is what it's talking about when it's saying that we are to, to rule and have dominion. It's not a dominion that's meant to be operated independently of God, right? So that we could, you know, oh, we could do whatever we want. We could trash the earth. We could, you know, destroy, you know, use it up and, and you know, all that. No, it is meant to be done within, under God's uh, direction, and leading, We are to be stewards of the earth, not just uh, users of the earth. That's the idea that we are given this rule. And the point being that God made male and female because what he wants to do, we need both for. What God wants people to do cannot be done by men alone. Women and men together will bear the image of God within our world both male and female so i was listening to a a old testament scholar who, who's very fluent with with the egyptian writings and he said that that the the language used in the bible for all men and women in in egypt was only used for pharaoh the pharaoh was the living image of the gods, or the God. And, and so it was only for the king could bear the image of God. And that Bible says that's true of all men and women, not just the kings. In fact, have you heard of Tutankhamun? Literally means the living image of Amun. right? That's that was the idea. That's what the other nations, that's what the, uh, the, the, the scriptures, the writings of the other nations said. The Bible came in saying, no, no, no. It's not just the king. It's not just the men. Men and women together will bear the image of God. Secondly, men and, and women together will rule over or bring order to creation. When we get into the next chapter, we'll talk about how, you know, they're, they're to tend the garden that God had put them in. And I believe God's intent was he would start small and he would show them how to bring order in one small space and then that would ultimately be extended throughout the rest of the world. And, but it's, it's that, that rule, but it's given to both male and female. So both are capable of ruling, but they're meant to do it together as partners. Third truth in this is men and women together will be fruitful and multiply. God designed our biology. We're so accustomed to it, we sort of take it for granted, but sexual reproduction was his idea. The fact that it would need two, there are some species that can just self replicate. We're not one of them. God chose to make it that both men and women would be needed in the creation of, to fill the earth, and also the raising of children. It's part of his design that that children would then have fathers and mothers in an ideal situation. So we see God's design from the very beginning. And what I see in this, what I think it affirms, is partnership, not subservience. It's complementary. That word is loaded. We'll talk more about that later. It's complementary in that men and women are different and distinct in, in key ways, and that they will have different roles in the, the work. There, there are things that women can do that men can't cannot, such as bear children. Can we not all agree? I know technology is going to work on that, but the science is impossible. So, um, And so I think we'll see more distinctions between men and women, so they're different, but they're made to work in partnership, not subservience. Let's go to chapter 2. Now let me read Genesis 2. And these are selected verses. Verse 18 and then jumping down just to keep it short. So Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So in Genesis 2, we see some differences then between men and women. And to summarize the earlier part, man, Adam, is made out of the dust of the earth. God takes the dust of the earth and forms the first man, and then breathes life into it. And then Adam, God gives Adam to survey the animals and brings them all to him, and he names the animals. And what I'm suggesting, he he does that so that he could see that when woman does come, woman is not just another animal. A woman is something different. So the man surveys all the animals. And then it says, in the midst of this, it is not good for the man to be alone. There's a sense there's something Adam is inadequate. So it says he needs a helper. Oh, I get it. Man is going to be like Batman. And woman is going to be like Robin. Right? So, so man is the superhero and woman is the sidekick. Is that, you know, helper. In, in King James, it's a helpmeet that what that is saying? Well, let's go to the Hebrew. The Hebrew, that word is ezer. And ezer, ezer, is, is also used of God himself. So it says God is our ezer, our helper. So this word ezer does not mean like just some sidekick, servant, helper. It has a, a another sense. So let me read from my commentary. It says, Moses spoke of God as his helper who delivered him from Pharaoh. So it's speaking of someone with strength. Someone who could do something you cannot do on your own. So, and it is often associated with shield in describing God's protective care of his people. Um, by the way, this quote's not on the screen. I, I don't have, didn't type it out. It says, here here's it is. There's no sense derived from the word linguistically or from the context of the garden narrative that the woman is a lesser person because her role differs. In the case of the biblical model, the helper is an indispensable partner required to achieve the divine commission. Sometimes it's suggested that while the man was made first and then the woman came later, therefore he rules over her. Well, think about the animals came before Adam. So if you go by that, then the animals should rule over Adam. That, that's not how it works. Um, neither are given to rule over one or the other. And, and really, the text is, is emphasizing a few things. One is emphasizing mutual dependence. Later in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, just to, to look ahead a little bit, it says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So, so did I clarify in this? I might have skipped over a little part. That when God made Eve, the woman, he made her out of the rib of a man. He take, he took, so he didn't make Eve the same way he made Adam. Eve was already there in Adam. God took out the, the rib, or it could just be the side so he made Adam from one side and Eve from the other side. That then, that emphasizes the fact that when Adam, what did Adam realize? She is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? She is not something other than me. She, she is of, she's not like an animal that's a completely different species. We are of the same substance and we're meant to be together. That's what Genesis 2, it's, it's emphasizing the, the unity. In fact, it's, it's pointing ahead to what marriage could be. And the union of a man and woman that they would fit together just right in marriage. And in verse 31, it says God, this is back in Genesis 1 after me, people were made, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God had a good design. So what happened, because we know it is broken. We see it in our world, and what happened is the curse of sin, what we call the fall of mankind. People, both Adam and Eve, chose to listen to God's enemy over holding to God's word, what God had said. They did the one thing God said not to do, eat of the one tree God restricted from them, saying, we could choose for ourselves. We can even be like God. And they, they, they chose, they both sinned, and God confronted them, spoke to them about um, what would happen because now sin has been introduced. I would suggest the fall of mankind, the introduction of sin between men and God was like a nuclear bomb that went off. It changed how people would relate to one another. It changed the design. We sang... Is, is, is creation now groaning? It is. Right? We, we sense that. And that is because of that decision. So let me read down Genesis 3, God's description of, of what it would be like if this bomb went off. Genesis 3. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God lays out what's called the curse of sin and how it would play out. And he speaks to both Adam and Eve separately on this. There is a ton of wordplay in Hebrew in this pronouncements of God. First of all, Adam, his name means ground or dirt, dust. Right. So Adam was made from the ground, the dust, the earth. And that's how God originally formed him. So what, what work was Adam given to do? He was to work the ground. He, you know, same as his name. The, his name is Adam. Adamah. He was worked to work the ground. And then when the curse comes, what does God say about his work? It will now be difficult for you. The ground will not produce forth um, Cursed is the ground because of you. So, so it won't be easy to grow crops. It will produce thorns and thistles instead of making it easy now just to just pluck fruit off a tree. And then ultimately, like the ultimate result, the part two, in a sense, of his curse was that to the ground, to the dust, you shall return. So that was the curse of Adam. Something to note. Everything that is applicable to Adam is applicable to both men and women. Adam is representative of both men and women. Think about it. It's not like, well, men can't grow anything very well, but for women, it's just going to be perfectly easy. Uh, Now, maybe women are better at growing things. I don't know. But. But they still get thorns and thistles when you grow. And it's not like women don't eventually go to the dust. You know, for both men and women, to dust you came from, to dust you will return. So everything about Adam is applicable to uh, both men and women. For, for Eve, or actually she's not named Eve yet, she's just the woman. For the woman who was taken out of man, her, her, um, her thing will be specific to, to kind. So, what where, where was Eve's source? Where did she come from? Woman was taken out of man. Came out of the body of another person. What's Eve's labor? Childbirth. We still call it labor, right? And so, in, in within her body, she will bring forth another human being, just as she was brought forth from out of another person. And then, so then it, Does this make sense now of why the curse would be as it is? So just as Adam's labor would now be painful and difficult, the same exact words will be for Eve's labor. Childbearing will be painful and difficult. It will bring forth grief is the other word that you could do this. It will be dangerous. Adam's work will be dangerous. Eve's work will be even more dangerous. We know in the ancient world, how many women would have died in childbirth. And then there's a part two, uh, an ultimate result of the curse. So here's looking closer at this. It says, um, your desire desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So just as she brought forth a man from her, but now instead of... um, Working well, she will then be working against. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. In, so we're going to look at this a little more, but, but first of all, the curse of sin, creation itself is broken. Thorns and thistles, difficulty in childbearing, and the curse of sin, uh, sin is unleashed into human relationships, and this, this will affect the relationships between men and men. And women. Now that people can choose for themselves between right and wrong, they will choose against God's design, and instead they'll end up with power conflict. I want to look close at this, this verse. So, you will desire what is contrary to your husband. Sometimes it's also translated, your desire uh, will be for your husband. And it, it's, it's trying to piece out, what, the, what, is, what is this trying to say in this? And it's, if you look at the, the next chapter, it uses the same exact words in a different situation. When, when Cain, before Cain kills his brother Abel, God gives him warning. God sees what's going to happen, and he tells Cain, he says, Sins does, sin is crouching at your, desi- at your door, and sin desires to have you. That's the same wording as here to the woman. Your desire will be for your husband. In other words, you'll want to control your husband. You will want to, you'll want something that he doesn't. Not for his good, but you'll want to de- desire what's contrary. But then what's he going to do? He will rule over you. There's going to be power conflict between men and women. Instead of partners working together, for the purposes of God, you're going to get this. And who's stronger? And the one that is more stronger physically and more aggressive is going to win. The man will rule over you. Men will use their greater strength to dominate over and oppress women. They will, they will use that strength against other men. In fact, like I said, in the next chapter, we see one man, Cain, using his strength to kill another man. And that, that, that will go further as you go through the Bible. Um, it will go to great violence and wickedness. But it's, they will especially use that against women. And here's my, here's my big point. Here's something I do not want you to miss about this specific phrase. This is descriptive, not descriptive proscriptive. Now, proscriptive means it's given as a command. This is, God is describing what will happen when sin dominates in our relationships with people. It is not what God wants for relationships between men and women, between husbands and wives. Yes, we'll see later that that wives are called to follow the lead of their husbands and not work against them, right? where it says your desire will be contrary to your husband, wives are said, don't, don't work contrary to your husband. You're, you're to follow his lead. But at the same time, the Bible never commands men to make sure their wife obeys them. God does not say to the, the men or husbands, make sure your wife obeys you. Now, does it say to the women, be subject to your husbands, follow his lead? Yes, but that's between the woman and God. Men, what's your job? Love your wives. Love your wives as much as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as much as Jesus loved the church. Love her so much you'll lay down your life for her. Men are not commanded to rule over their wives. They're to take care of her like she's your own body, your own flesh. So that's the command. That's the proscriptive. Wives, wives. Follow the lead of your husbands. Husbands, love your wife so much you love her as, and you take care of her like you would take care of your own body. But it's descriptive, and it shows how sinful men throughout the centuries would rule over and dominate women in general and their wives in particular. The curse of sin means now that sin is operating in the heart of men, he will use his natural power and aggressiveness to rule over Eve. I would suggest his natural strength and aggression was given to protect and care for his family. And I think you see that when men are at their best, what do they do? They, they, they work to protect their wives, even giving their lives. I I think It's been a while now, but they had that Aurora, Colorado shooting where where a guy, gunman, came in and shot in the middle of, of a movie theater, I think a Batman showing or something. And they found, like, later, several men had died covering over their girlfriends or wives, right? That is why men are given greater strength, not to dominate, but to serve, to protect. There's good news. The gospel is good news. The gospel message is that Jesus came to break the curse. God did, this is not God's intent, right? Jesus came into our world that he might undo the curse of sin, not uphold it. Galatians three thirteen says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He was hanged on a tree on the cross. Now it says curse of the law, because the law is what enforced um, against us, the law you know, the law was meant to combat sin, so Christ redeemed us from the curse of sin. The death of Christ on our behalf um, is, undoes the, the part where to dust you shall return, right? Yes, we will die, but now we know God's ultimate plan is that we would have eternal life, be resurrected again in him. And in the same way, Jesus came to restore God's design for both men and women, that they would work together in common purpose. A few weeks back, we were doing in in Philippians, What what did Paul say to the men and women of that church? They were partners in the gospel. They would work together for the promotion of the good news and the building of the kingdom. So to wind things up, starting question, did God design women to be ruled over by men? We have a clear answer, right? What's the clear answer? Into a culture that said yes, the Bible gives a countercultural answer. It says no, women were designed by God to be equal partners in God's plan for creation. We have an explanation of oppression. The reason why women and men compete for power and women have endured oppression and secondary status in society is because of the sin that operates in the hearts of fallen people. We have a reason for hope. Jesus, the Son of God, came to set us free from the guilt of sin, but also to undo the curse of sin by uniting both men and women together into a new community in the body of Christ. And that points to the fourth thing we have. We have an opportunity for God's people, for disciples, for the church. And the opportunity is this, that we are meant to display God's original design for for men and women. Revelation 2, it says, at 22, it says at the end of the Bible, no longer will there be any curse. God has a plan to get rid of the curse completely, to, to take it out. It says the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And, and what God's desire is now is for his people, those who are in the body of Christ, to, to live out the principles of the kingdom of Christ here on earth and give a foretaste to be a picture of what it could be as we learn to work together for the purposes of God, men and women. Let's pray God would do that in our midst. Father in heaven, I thank you that your, your plans are good, your intentions are good, your desire for us is good. May we learn to trust you and to, and to, to learn for, for both men and women to, to work together, to, to, to appreciate each other, to not compete for power, to not compete for dominance, but instead to learn to love one another as you have loved us. And may the way we do that bear the image of God in a hurting and broken world that is so confused and so broken and so unable to understand, Lord. May our relationships we have in this church show a different way. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.